Welcome to the No Bibs, Burps, Bottles podcast, where we highlight and share the stories of African-American women who are 30 plus, child-free, wonderfully made, and living their best life. Remember, womanhood is not synonymous with motherhood. This is Dr. Angela L. Harris, your host. Come join me as we get comfortable and cozy with no bibs, no burps, no bottles. Stay tuned. So my special guest is originally from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and most of her family still lives there. She studied political science and business administration at Mary Baldwin College for her undergraduate degree. She has a master's in college student development and higher education. She currently works as assistant director of residence life at University of Wisconsin-Madison. She has been in the student affairs field for over 10 years, and her passion is social justice and diversity work. Miss Britannia Ballard. Hey, Britannia. Hi. Happy to be here. I'm so glad to have you. It's been a while. It's been a while. And the whole time I was like, make sure you say her name correctly. <laughs> correctly. And I remember when I first met you, I don't know if you remember this, when I first met you at OU, um, the way your name is spelled, I was just like, okay, I don't want to mess it up. And you said something about, it's like lasagna. And I, that stayed with me. So do you have to tell people that a lot? Because that has stuck I with do. me. <laughs> I do. I do. People normally, uh, they go for Britagni first or something of that variation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, you're close. But if you think of lasagna, Britannia will come out easier and people get it every time. Is that something that you came up, came up with on your own? Or did like your mama have to tell you that when you was little? Like this is... <laughs> mom had to tell me when I was little because I would be so upset and so hurt. I used to hate my name. And then when I was in um, elementary school, <clears throat> excuse me, my mom was like, just tell people it's like lasagna. They'll get it, okay? You just just keep trying and tell them it's like lasagna. And so I've been using it ever since. Here we are 30 um, years later. Sure. That saved your life from, from... I'm pretty sure people still go there for the other one, but... Dropping that little hint that stayed with me, and that's how I remember how to say it. So, so before we kind of jump into things, I want I want to um, ask you a little bit more about your social justice and diversity work um, sure. because it's always um, you know fascinating to me how women kind of you know find that feel or find that lane. So, what does your social justice and diversity work look like, whether that's personally and professionally? Right. Um, so, I think the passion developed more in being in higher education um, because I think you're able to see the disparities between the resources that students of color get and then, Mm -hmm. you know, non-students of color get. And I think the representation on staffs, the representation in um, like student affairs offices and things like that, um, there was always such a lack of representation of uh, of staff that looked like me. Mm -hmm. Um, And so students were always, you know, clamoring for mentors and always wanted um, to, to, you know, develop their leadership skills, but by someone who looked like them. And I think the longer I've stayed in higher education, the more I wanted to be that person to bridge the gap. Because honestly, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for my mentor. I went to a PWI in undergrad mm-hmm. um, and uh, Dr. Amy Tillerson, who was my mentor and my um, advisor, um, if, she, if, if it hadn't been for her, kind of scooping me up in her arms along mm-hmm. with the other students of color, black, black women, um, Um, I don't think I'd be where I am today. And so knowing that 
that disparity and that lack of representation is still happening now. And mm-hmm. I'm, I've been out of undergrad a while. Um, I just wanted to be that person. And so a lot of my diversity work happens in leadership development. Mm-hmm. And so finding, um, you know, leadership positions for students, helping the, helping them develop skills, whether that's resume building skills or whether that's finding a place on um, an RHA board or whatever, getting them connected, making sure that I am kind of holding their hand and taking them through every step of the way, because a lot of things are hidden. A lot of resources are hidden. A lot of resources are unknown. A lot of things don't even exist. Um, mm-hmm. At OU, we, a, a lot of our students were begging for places like affinity groups. They just needed a place mm-hmm. to go to discuss, to get some things off their chest, whether that was their interaction with um, the police department or their interactions in the classroom where they would get called another black student's name because they thought they all looked alike. They just <laughs> needed a place. Um, and so I think it naturally developed because of my personal experience, my, my personal walk, but also observing the personal experiences of my students. Because um, mm-hmm. I, I work very closely with students. I love my students. And I always get a little group of mentees that push me to always do better and push me to think about connecting with um, colleagues like you or colleagues like um you know, whoever may be there at the time to really make their um, experience and make their uh, undergrad walk a little bit easier. So I think that's where it stemmed from. Did I answer your question? Yes, 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 yes. And shout out to your mentor, because that's how um, the seeds are planted by someone who's taken us under their wing. And it seems like you've done your mentor justice by extending that olive branch to other students and, and not letting it just kind of fizzle out with just you. So that's a good thing. Good thing. I know sometimes when people are doing so social justice and diversity work and we are giving all to our students, um, sometimes it can be tiring. So just social justice in general. So how do you replenish your spirit, especially when you're giving so much to students who really need that guidance um, and, and counseling? It is. That's an excellent question, because I think I found myself um, a lot of the times being overwhelmed I think everybody talks about the necessity of having empathy, Mm -hmm. um, but nobody talks about how empathy drains you sometimes um, because when, I think it's important to have it. I also think it's important to be cognizant that empathy um, can take a toll and to refill your cup, you have to find people the way people, the way students find you, you have to find your people. Mm-hmm. And whether that's counseling or whether that's a group of black women who, cause I'm an extrovert. So I tend to refill my energy being around other people laughing and, um, you know, kind of unburdening myself with people who have shared like experiences. And I think that's the only reason I stayed at uh, Ohio as long as I did for four years is because I found people like you. Um, And then we recruited colleagues like, you know, Laverne and Marcia because we Mm -hmm. were recruiting, you know, black women, you know, year year after year after year. um, So you could have someone to kind of unload some of those burdens with people who have like experiences like you. Um, But I think you have to be self-aware of your capacity. And I didn't learn that until too late some in some in some facets um 
because I, w- I would be burnt out and stressed and I couldn't even, and I'm an educator, I'm a natural educator. And sometimes I'm like, I can't even have this conversation today with you, or I can't teach you about my walk today because I, I can't handle it today. And I think I had to be okay with that by saying, you know, but I have someone else you can go to. Let me introduce you to another person because sometimes I just couldn't do it. Yeah. Um, and so I think um, finding a good therapist of color, um, um, having having your girls and, and and men who surround you and kind of uplift you and take a, take a piece of that burden that you may be carrying, whether it's because of what's going on in the world as a whole or what's going on in your small world on your college campus. Um, I think that was important for me to learn capacity and to learn that um sometimes you can't do it by yourself definitely yep we shouldn't and sometimes we have to be able to pause and take care of ourselves and also spread spread the wealth spread the wealth so absolutely so let's get into this this life of yours and so we're telling you (laughs) you are you've moved a few times you got a, a good job you are working you're serving your students tell me what it means at this point in your life to be an african-american child-free woman oh describe my life okay um so as you I've, I've moved around quite a bit um and i think only the past three years i've gotten a little uh feline companion um <laughs> but i think i think the ease in which I can transition to somewhere without really having to worry about anybody else and work and not only worry about, you know, me and my needs at the time has been um, probably the biggest piece of freedom. Um, I have a mom and dad that I'm very close with. I have a little brother, um, but he's in the military. Um, but not having to take care of a little person and being able to transition and make moves only thinking about, well, what do I need to be surrounded by? What, what eat, what airport is close to me so I can get back to my parents. Those are the things I think about. I don't really think about having to take care of anybody but me and my little companion. (laughs) Um, And so it's been a blessing and I honestly don't think I've missed out on anything. I'm a godmother. um, Mm -hmm. And I think that's about as close as I want or need to get. Um, (laughs) So um, yeah, my life hasn't been any less fulfilling. I don't think I've, I've never wanted kids. Um, It's never been something I've wanted. And I think people were hoping and then I've dated hope to like, oh, I changed my mind and oh, it's just a phase. It's not. It's Mm -hmm. just, I've always wanted the freedom of being able to do what I wanted when I wanted um, because it's a blessing, but it's a responsibility and it's a heavy Mm -hmm. responsibility. And honestly, I didn't want it. Um, I give myself away to so many people because we're in a helping uh, profession. Like we, Mm -hmm. we give ourselves away to so many students. We try to influence so many students and I get my, I do my mothering in that facet. Um, I do my mothering in that way. And I think that's enough for me. Yeah. Yeah. And so you talked about this freedom and, and just even the way you expressed it is kind of like, yep, I made the right choice for me. So tell me, and you said it so proudly and boldly when you said, I've never wanted kids. Cause I do think there are a lot of women when they are child free, they're like, maybe, maybe not. Or mm-hmm. they, meet the, they meet the right person and that changes their perspective. But tell me, what point did you know that you never wanted kids? At what age, when did that come about for you? That is such a good question. So um, I come from a single parent home. 
Um, and I was raised by my grandmother who had six children, including my mother. My mom was the oldest. And then my mom had the two of us. And I grew up really early, um, helping taking care of my brother and helping take care of my elderly uh, grandparents and things like that. And so I think, and it sounds ridiculous, but I probably knew around 14 or 15, being surrounded by cousins who had kids early and being surrounded mm. by um, classmates who had kids early. I was like, yeah, I'm not about that life. <laughs> like, I just knew, <laughs> I just knew, um, I got my first job, I think at 14 and a half, and I was, you know, paying bills at home and always being a good support system for my mommy and my mom are like best friends because I was her support system. Like I was, I was, I had grew up fast. Mm -hmm. And so pieces of that made me realize that like, I will always take care of my mom. I will always take care of my brother. Um, but that's about where my journey will end with taking mm -hmm. care of people. And so I knew pretty early on that like, I want to leave my mark on the world in a different place. I don't need a progeny for that. I don't need mm -hmm. a child for that. I want to do it in a different way. And the only way I can do that is to have the freedom of not having that responsibility. And I, I knew pretty early on and that, thought has not changed in 15 years. And that's why I'm so glad to have you on because I know there are women who kind of go, they sway back and forth. Mm -hmm. It seems like based on your background and your experiences, it, it helped you make a decision like, I already, I already am taking care of people. Why add to the, why add to the mix? Yeah, I, and it's not because it was a burden or anything like that. It was just, I wanted my reach to be a little further and I wanted my, my reach to be a little different than just in my household. You know what I mean? Than just raising someone who came from my womb. I wanted to touch more people than that. And I think um, it's hard. To, I'm an empath, so it's hard to split that focus and give too much to too many people. And I just didn't want, I, I just never wanted kids. And mm -hmm. I think, and I've been in love and I've had those conversations and they were rough conversations because it was always, um, you know, talks about compromise and like, what are you willing to do? And I'm like, it's a deal breaker because I don't want kids. I'm not going to want to adopt them. I'm not going to want to foster them. I'm not going to want to push them out. I'm not going to want to have them. And so I don't like, I, yeah, pretty steadfast. And I've yeah. been called selfish a lot because of that. And I, I will own that because I've just, I've just never wanted to have kids. Mm -hmm. So that opens up a, a, another kind of lane in regards to, to dating and being child free. So it seems like you've had the approach that when you have met people, you know, when does that conversation happen for you? You know, do you let people know early on? Do, do you kind of see where it goes and see if it comes up? Like, how should one approach that? That is an excellent question. I think it depends on the man. Um, I've had deep emotional connections with people that happened faster. And so they actually asked me about like, what does family look mean to you? What does family life look like for you in the future kind of thing? So like, or do you have, you know, a close, close ties with your family that exist? And what do you want? What do you want your family to look like in the future? And when those kind of questions come up, um, I can honestly say um, that's where <laughs> that's where it starts getting rough. Um, mm -hmm. And I know the last guy I was dating, um, he was just so all in. Um, and but the deal breaker for him was like he wanted he 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 wanted children. He wanted them naturally, but it wouldn't matter even if he wanted to adopt because I didn't want kids at all. So he um that that was a deal breaker for him so that conversation happened 
three months in and then there was someone I dated before someone I dated before it happened probably less than a month in because he just wanted to have that conversation I I think he was he was older as well and I don't think he wanted his time wasted he just was like you know let's have the conversation now and I respect that because I don't I'm not trying to lead anyone on I wasn't trying to be you know um you know manipulative in any way it's just sometimes it comes up quicker than others and normally it's them that bring it up because I'll say it and then I'll say it early on in a a different kind of manner and they don't really pay attention to it until we have like the deeper conversation Mm -hmm. because then it it becomes like they're they're trying to sell me on the life of um and and what I'm willing to do to like meet them halfway and I get it um when you have an investment in someone you really want to know like could this work what what you know what can we do? And a yeah. lot of the time it's like, I hear you, but no. Yeah. And it's, and, and kudos to you for standing your ground, because I know that could be a difficult conversation, especially when feelings are involved and maybe you actually do care for someone. They have all the other qualities. You're like, check, 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 check kids. Oh, and they really want kids. And they're trying to say, come on, girl, we love each other. Let's make it happen. And you're yeah. really standing your ground. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And so, and you were very clear, like, they're not coming out of me biologically. I'm not adopting. I'm not fostering. Um, you can, you know, you can get me and my cat, but if it's more, <laughs> you know. I'll take on another uh, animal companion, but mm-hmm. I, and I said it like that, not to be insensitive, but a lot of, you know, there are a lot of ways to have children now, like, and a lot of people assume that it's because I don't want to have the child myself so like you know would you consider surrogacy would you consider adopting would you consider fostering and all of those methods are beautiful methods yes. and i think that if you want a child that there are amazing ways to get them it just wasn't for me and none of those methods for me mm-hmm. so and and i'm and all of those are beautiful methods and they work for some women they don't work yeah. for all yeah they don't work for all of us yeah mm-hmm. When you made this decision and you said at 14 and kind of been steadfast on that, um, how did your mom or your family respond? Because for some people, it's when you're going to have me some grandbabies and you're, you know, when you're going to, you know, carry on the name. And so tell me what that experience was like for you. Um, It was hardest for my mom. So I also have... um, Picos and endometriosis, which would have made things difficult anyway. So a lot of the time, my mom thought it was because of that. Like, you know, you don't give up hope, and there people have kids with that all the time. And I think she was holding on hope because she thought that my decision was attributed to those physical limitations, um, and it wasn't. I just never. And I would tell her like, no, mom, it's just because I don't want kids. And I think a lot of the time she was just like, no, baby, you know, you don't give up. God can work miracles. And I was like, oh, I know we can. However, it's not a miracle. I want him to waste on me because I don't want to do And so um, I think by the time I, and I've always been education first. Like she pushed me to always put my education first. And then when I took that and ran with it and all I did was internships and work and, you know, get all these degrees and things like that. She was like, oh, so you really just not going to do nothing else but get your education <laughs> and, and, and not get married or anything like that. And so when I became a career woman and I, I took a different trajectory than what she probably would have imagined, um, I think that at the, in my late twenties, she finally understood that like, 
okay, so you're just not, you're just really not going to have kids. And so I think it got hard for her because people around her age, my mom was a little older. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she's 70 now. So probably around the time she started getting asked these questions by her friends and the people she was surrounded by, she was probably early mid sixties and, you know, they would be coming in showing pictures of their grandchildren and, you know, when's your daughter or son going to have any, and, you know, she got to a point where she could honestly say, yeah, I'm not, she's not having a kid. So, you know, um, <laughs> so now she tells people I have my grandkitty and we're just, that's about as good as it's going to get. Um, but it was hard for her. It was a hard pill to swallow um, because she was, you know, she would always say, you know, at first it was like, it's, I hope it's nothing I did, you know, as a mother to turn you away. And I'm like, you were a fantastic mother. Like we had some hard times, but like, it wasn't that. It's just, it's not for me. And then we went through the part that's, she had to get to acceptance. Like she just had to, we went through a lot to figure out like what my issue was. And then um, finally, when we got to acceptance, she's good now. So, but it took us a while. It took and us a while. Communic- some honest transparency and communication between you and mom about that. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and it had, it had, we had to have further reach to the other family members, like the uncles and the aunts and the cousins who would always interrogate me and, you know, think I wasn't, you know, um, you know, very ladylike or motherly or woman enough to have that kind of life. And I'm like, I, you know, so then not only did my mom accept it, but she always, she also had to start shutting people down. Like, mm-hmm. don't, she, she's doing great. She's leaving her best life. Don't come for her in that way. So yeah. she don't want a kid. Like, she, she'll be fine kind of yeah. thing. And so that's where we are now. So you named some little nuggets that um, people experience in regards to, you know, less than a woman and, you know, you're not maternal enough. How did you deal with that? So I know mom was shutting it down for you and I know you and I, I believe that you probably did the same. But tell me what that would look like if it was a family member or a cousin or auntie kind of, you know, saying this is what you should do because you are a woman. I think in the beginning it hurt a lot because people were always um family and friends are like well then that's why you're not gonna get a man and that's why you don't have one now because you don't know how to you know give you know have the family that people want and give them what they want and all that kind of stuff and um maybe if you hadn't spent so much time in your books that you wouldn't know how to catch and keep a man like that kind of stuff um and i think in my early to mid 20s um like it really had me thinking like, could I do it? Not of my own volition, but like, is that really what I got to do to live the life I'm supposed to live? Like, oh gosh. And then I got to my late twenties and life started changing and looking a little differently. And I was like, yeah, no. Um, and so then I started to realize that, um, being a woman and living whatever life you want to choose to live is it's up to you there's no one right way to be a successful caring loving black woman like there's just there's no one way to do it everyone's journey is going to look different and i i refuse to let anyone come for how i've chosen to live my life and i refuse to not be proud of how i've chosen to live my life um and now that i'm at the age that i am um 
there's no waffling. There's no like, oh, well, you know, maybe life would be better. It's as good as it's going to be because this is how I chose. And God has different things for me than he had for you. And I've accepted that. I need everyone else to get on board because now there's nothing that's really going to hurt me in that manner because I've accepted myself. I've accepted my choice and I've accepted that doesn't make me any, it doesn't, um, make me inferior to people who make a different choice. That's Mm -hmm. what it was. It was an inferiority complex and it was hitting my self-esteem in different ways. And then I got to a point where I was like, I, I'm not doing it wrong. I'm doing it differently and I need everybody to be okay with that. And so, um, yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting how, you know, it's it's almost like a catch 22, you know, we're taught as little, you know, go to college and take care of yourself and be independent and get a degree and do this and do this. But when you, at least for me, and it sounds like for you, it's like you were very focused on your career. And for mm-hmm. some people, it's kind of like you look up and then you're like, wow, I have this. But, but people or society will make you feel like, well, you suppo- yeah, you were supposed to do that, but you were supposed to have the, the family and the husband too. Right. And it's just a different choice, a different lane. Yeah, it was the unwritten rule that like, yeah, girl, you were supposed to do all that. However, you were simultaneously supposed to be building your family in the in the wings so you could be a, a whole woman. And I'm like, uh, we are yeah. whole. We are whole. I, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, tell me about your friend groups. So are you the only one that's child free? How are those interactions? And of my close friends, I would say a third of them have children. A third of them have children and probably the other two thirds either plan to have them or have the same outlook as me. So um, I have um, a couple of friends that just have one child Um, and whether they're with the, uh, whether they're married and with that one child or um, a single mom and with that one child or single dad and with that one child, um, mostly the people who have full on families are colleagues and they're not necessarily like close friends of mine. So in my friend group, mm-hmm. uh, mo- a good chunk of people are uh, singled and partnered and child free. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Have you ever had any experiences, whether negative, positive, or in the middle being child free and then working in the different environments that you've had or been in where there are expectations because you don't have kids Yes, taking on more um, or there's a natural defensiveness of, you know, people feel like they have to quantify the fact that, well, I can't do this because I'm a single mom. I have three kids at home. Girl, nobody, nobody's judging you. Okay. You, you, you know, we bring what we can bring to the table. Um, I don't, I, I don't like the expectation that I can take on more because I'm single and don't have a partner and don't have this and that. Oh, but Britannia can do it. But yeah. she could, but she's not. So <laughs> I, I, um, <laughs> so, um, I think there are, and I found that especially lately because I, the last two institutions, I was probably the youngest and the one that was single. Um, And so there comes some um, expectations, I think, with that kind of mantle that I'm I'm holding um, to do things differently or to do more, or I have the capacity um, to be on site 
during a, a, a pandemic because I don't <laughs> have anybody I can bring the germs back home to and stuff like that. There's just little things like that. And I'm like, I hear you, but no. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and, I, and I understand and I empathize. However, what we're not going to do is sacrifice the, the lone single woman yeah. with no kids yeah. um, just because... It's so subtle, but yes. sometimes it's so in your face. Like, well, why are you coming to me to ask me if I can stay late? Have you asked them, you know? Right, right. Yes, that I'm always being volunteered for tribute because, because of that. Um, and knowing me, like a lot of times I will, but it's, it's because I want to, not because my home situation is different from yours. Yeah. Um, and I understand those responsibilities look woefully different, but that's a conversation we should have. I don't think there needs to be a, a passive aggressive, microaggressive, like, oh, she can take it because she, she don't got nothing else going on. Like, I feel that sometimes. And I'm like, that's just not okay. So, you don't know um, if I just want to go home and just lay up and, and, and kick my feet up and cook my own self dinner just because I don't have a family. And we're a family of one, right? And, and we, there should be a choice or at least some understanding about it. Yes. Because you're the things that you deal with um, that takes a mental and physical toll when you have a family, I deal with mental and physical toll of being a black woman that wakes up in this and working in this kind of place every day. Maybe I need a little bit of a break. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I, I think it looks different and you really have to think of those things that just because I'm a family of one and the head of my household of one doesn't mean that I don't, you know, need that time. Doesn't mean that I can always be on the front lines for things. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Good, good. Do you have any thoughts, experiences, anything that come to mind when we talk about um, child-free in today's world in regards to media, print, commercials, society? Just what are some thoughts, experiences that come to mind? I feel like a lot of times when I see spe specifically Black women who choose to be child-free and kind of live a very career-focused life, um, are, are kind of portrayed as like closed off and bitter and, you know, and um, lonely mm -hmm. and uh, unfulfilled because they don't have, you know, a child to brighten up their life and um, give them a purpose. Um, and I can honestly say it's a hard pill to swallow to watch that portrayal because that's not my life. Mm -hmm. um, I have a vibrant social life. I have a great group of friends. Um, I am probably being more in touch with myself and been, I won't say happy, because happy, I feel like is a choice, full of joy mm -hmm. since accepting the fact that like, I, I'm doing great. And though I have some hard days and though it's hard out here in these dating streets, yes. um, and I'm finding that difficult. That's a whole different podcast. That's a whole different podcast, okay? <laughs> um, but um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm doing well, I'm doing okay. And I would encourage people to find what brings them joy and what brings them peace and balance and serenity. Um, because for me, I'm not going to find that in a child. 
world. Um, and I don't have to find that necessarily by being partnered up. My career brings me joy, um, helping people, um, helping people find their path and find their voice. That brings me joy. And I had to, I had to be okay with that. Cause I'm like this portrayal of the lonely, bitter black woman with her power suits and you know i was just like it's a hard pill to swallow because i'm doing great (laughs) and that's why it's so important for um society anyone who's listening to hear our stories Mm -hmm. because again being able to highlight you and other women you know again respecting everyone's lane for those who want to be mothers for those that that's their desire that gives them purpose great kudos but that doesn't that equation doesn't have to be for every woman Every exactly. black woman. Yes. So, yes. yeah. It's not a one size fits all. Yes. Yes. That is so true. That is so true. How do you, wh- where do you think that comes from though? You know, so, I mean, there's my podcast and, and there's books and there's, you know, there's information out there about child-free living and, and women doing awesome things. But where do you think those stereotypes come from that we're unfulfilled and we're sitting in the corner and all we, we just go to our nine to five job and that's it. I think it's the patriarchal belief that we are made to have a family. Like we, we should strive for that. And we're not truly going to know what happiness is until we have that, you know, that uh, nuclear family that they're selling out uh, (laughs) and all the social media. And, you know, a lot of women who, uh, are portrayed as like desperate to get married and desperate to have a family before their, their eggs, you know, are no longer viable for pregnancy and things like that. Um, I, and I think that there are a lot of beautiful stories of women who have waited their whole life to have children and that did fulfill them. But I, again, I don't think it's a one size fits all. And you really can do a broad application of that lifestyle to everyone because there are some of us who are out here living our whole best lives, um, you know, child free and single. Um, and so, um, or child free and partnered. Um, and so I, I, I think it has to do with the way our society views um, women who have made the choice um, to not follow that path. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, and, and I think it's, I, I think people are surprised that like, oh, they, they can't possibly be happy with just that. They can't possibly be fulfilled with, you know, you know, not having uh, anyone to take care of and they can't possibly be okay. And the, the truth of the matter is we, we are. Yes. And child free does not mean childless. And so you in the beginning talked about all the young adults, kids, your godchildren that you touch. So you don't necessarily have to um, give birth to a child to not still have that same impact on children. I love that distinction. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And that's fulfilling enough for me. Yes. Yes. So as we kind of come down to a close a little bit, um, there's often this talk of a legacy and how we leave our legacy. You know, you have children, you have a son, they carry off the last name, you leave your legacy to your offspring. What is your legacy going to look like um, being child free? I think my legacy will be, like you said, in the lives I've touched of the quote unquote children that I've had in my life or the students that I've had in my life. I think my legacy will be in my mentorship. I think my legacy will be in um, the ownership of policies I've created at schools that will make the next it easier for the next generation. I think my legacy will be in 
the compassion that I give to others, even when they don't give it to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with that being, I don't need anybody to carry my name or, you know, carry on these cheekbones or anything <laughs> like that. I think, I think I'm okay with my legacy being a part of my work and being a part of just who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if I influenced anyone at any point, um, for the better um, and really made their walk a little bit easier um, to give them hope, to give them, to give them faith in something and, uh, you know, acceptance of themselves. And I think I've done my part. Yeah. Yeah. That's all I need. Mm-hmm. So you said you knew at an early, early on that you never wanted children, didn't want to mm-hmm. adopt, didn't want to foster, didn't want to mm-hmm. biologically have children. And you beautifully talked about your legacy. Um, what message would you give to uh, another young woman somewhere in their young 20s who has made the same choice that you did many years ago, but they're getting pressure from society, from a partner, from their family? What, what advice or counsel would you tell that young sister? Oh, I would say to learn how to accept who you are and what you can bring to the world and don't limit yourself to what others are putting on you. Don't limit yourself to what society um, wants out of you and wants out of your life because you only have one life to live and that Mm -hmm. life belongs to you. So if you've made that choice, stay steadfast in that choice because no one has to live that life for you. And if you want your life to be fulfilled, it should be filled with things that bring you joy and make you happy and, um, you know, lights you up from the inside. And if that means being child free, um, the, the sooner you can accept that and walk in that, um, unwavering, mm-hmm. the better off you'll be, mm-hmm. the better off you'll be. Cause you, you will come against obstacles. You will, oh, you yes. will come up against things and things that'll make you waver and relationships that'll make you waver. And, you know, a love that may uh, make you, but if, if, if that's truly what you want, and it's okay to change your mind as well, but if it's truly what you want, um, you have to accept it for yourself and realize that you can still have the absolute best journey with the decisions that you made. You mm-hmm. really can. And nobody else is going to know that but you. Right. Nobody else is going to know what that looks like, but you. And so if nobody else has to live your life, but you, and that's a decision that you made, then walk in that, walk in it proudly, with your head held high with your supportive friends surrounding you, your inner circle that surrounds you and lifts you up. And honestly, that's all you need. Yep. Yep. You don't give us a word, girl. The word. But but again, because you know, I was moved by how you talked about your experience and, and being not wavering even when there were opportunities to say, like, do I choose the relationship or do I choose what makes sense to me? And yeah. some women would have been like, Oh my god, I've been single for 25 years. Let me just he wants a baby, let me pop it out. So I, I want I wanted you to be able to give that nugget to someone else who might be in the same position at some point. So Yeah, I I I think the other piece of the future that I saw when I when I wavered those couple of times was like, am I gonna resent 
him and the baby in the future because this wasn't really what I wanted to keep a man. And honestly, when I looked at the future from that perspective, I was like, see, this is why yeah. I know it's not, it's not for me. Yeah. And um, it took some introspection and getting to know myself even even more um, and becoming more self-aware. But honestly, looking at it from that trajectory, I was like, yeah, no, I, I yeah, mm -mm, no. But you be blessed. And yeah. <laughs> be blessed, be blessed. <laughs> so I want to thank you so much for chatting with me um, on this episode. And thank you for just sharing um, bits and pieces of yourself as, as just more specifically your, your truth, because I do appreciate it and it will touch other people. So before I let you go, because I know you are busy, 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 um, any final nugget you want to share with the audience or are there any exciting things that you were doing that you would like to share and if people could get in contact with you, whatever you would like to share at this point. Girl, I I think you said it best, like just live your truth. Right now, I think we're all just trying to get mm. through this quarantine, <laughs> this, <laughs> this, this uh, corona life right now. Um, and so that's even more of an opportunity for me to like journal and get to know myself and make plans and mm -hmm. making vacation plans, even if they're not until 2022. Exactly. Um, <laughs> and really staying healthy spiritually, physically, um, and emotionally. But um, yeah, but if anybody ever wants to get in touch with me, I am on Facebook. Um, my name is spelled the same. Um, and I do work at UW Madison. So if there's anybody that listen that is looking for um, a wonderful group of black women, there are a couple of us that get together Yay. every now and then. But yeah, that's yeah. all I got. Gotcha. Well, I want to thank everyone for tuning in to the, today's episode of No Bibs, Burks, Bottles. And I want to thank my special guest, Miss Britannia Ballard. Thank you so much. And until we meet again, remember, Womanhood is not synonymous with motherhood. Take care. Peace. You have been listening to the No Bibs, Burps, Bottles podcast, a podcast dedicated to the stories of African-American women without children. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to rate, comment, and subscribe. Until next time, keep living your best child-free life.